Welcome to CPP Chat, a modular look at what's going on in the world of C++, chatting with guests from the community. But before we build up to this week's guest, John has something he needs to say. Thank you, Phil. The website and the information contained herein is not intended to be a source of advice or credit analysis with respect to the material presented, and the information and or documents contained in this website do not constitute investment advice. So our guest today is Izzy. And um, Izzy, you've got a lot of stuff going on. I know you've been involved with, uh, uh, with the Standards Committee. You've spoken at a number of conferences. But uh, I more or less think of you a lot as a tool person building tools. But I don't think that's your day job right now, is it? You want to tell us what you're doing now? Uh, so actually, a part of my day job involves building tools, but it's not my, my primary primary focus. Um, so I'm a distributed systems architect at Netlify. We're a San Francisco-based startup, um, although we are 40% remote. Um, and we do uh, uh, basically what's known as Jamstack. Uh, it's, a, it's a newer approach to building new websites. So um, if you're familiar with using things like Jekyll um, or uh, Hugo, um, or classic, more classic, uh, well-known static site generators like, say, Sphinx for like documentation. It's kind of related to that, except that um, you're then able to make more dynamic content. So you can actually have like a full user login and uh, uh, authority system, and then we basically take care of all the you know building of that and deploying of that, so that. Um, you know, you can focus on your website and not having to focus on the CI, the deployment, you know, uh, getting statistics and login and all that jazz. So, uh, and I work on the C++ side of things because uh, we use uh, um, C++ on the back end for serving a lot of the content. So, um, so that's uh, uh, service, not, you're not selling. Yes. You're not selling the server. You're selling the service. You're not selling the code. Yeah. We're selling, so it's, it's, it's software as a service. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, and how much of that is C plus plus? Um, so I can't give the. Uh, I don't think I was cleared to give the the accurate number, but um, we, you know, every every request does eventually go through a web server that is just written in C plus um, plus. We do have a bit of Rust code that we've started to deploy. Um, I'm not typically involved on that side of things, although I've. Uh, you know, been helping out a little bit, um, but I'm not like the main Rust person. That's uh, my coworker. Um, but uh, you know, I, I came in and basically uh, they needed someone that knew both C++ and a bit of Rust, so I can do both. And uh, that's kind of you know, I straddle I straddle that line these days. Although I'm running way more C++ now with uh, C++ you know 20 being available thanks to Clang 10 and GCC 10 than uh, um, you know when I was running like C++ 17, where I was kind of writing like a little bit of both. So so I want to get back to tools. Yeah. But first, I want to talk a little bit about web, because I think that C++ isn't terribly well represented in the web world. I mean, you know, there's, we don't think of C++ as uh, something you'd build a website in, although obviously you could. Um, and in fact, most people who are doing web stuff are doing it either in Python or Node.js or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but I, uh, but I'm convinced there's a role for C++, uh, maybe more on the infrastructure side than on the content side, but, it, but there's definitely a place for that. Am I wrong on that? Uh, you're, you're not wrong. Um, I, I mean, like in, there's a lot of existing web servers out there that are written in C++. Um, and the, the, I think the you know one of the biggest issues is like if you want to use Node.js, you go and you get 
Node.js. But uh, I kind of I kind of referenced this in my 2017 talk at CppCon. You know, um, if you want to get started with C++, you have to figure out what build system you want to use. You want to figure out what compiler you're going to use, what platform you're targeting. Um, you know, what version of C++ you're going to target as well. And then you have to also deal with, you know, grabbing dependencies and figuring out how those dependencies are going to interact and, you know, trying to find the minimum common denominator. Whereas with, you know, Node.js, you say we're on LTS 12 and uh, we will deploy from there. Um, or if you're using Golang, you, you know, you just compile your static library, uh, you compile your static executable and you deploy and you're done. Um and uh, it's it's less about the tools and more about you know writing code for the average person. Whereas, you know, um, there is an argument to be made that for a majority of C++ people, especially people on the committee, you know, a majority of us are writing libraries and not you know full huge products um, always. And I, I you know I think the argument you'll see on Twitter between standard C++ people and game dev C++ people is kind of evident that there is, there's a definitely a uh, split there with, um, you know, the priorities for different people's, uh, you know, like what they would like the language to have. So um, that, that might be partially why uh, is, is that, you know, when, when you're writing a website or a server backend, you know, it's easier to write it in Python because there's a Python package manager and then, mm-hmm. you know, same with everything else. Uh, except for C++, because we have, like, I think we're up to six now for the most commonly used ones. So, Yeah, I think that's a real advantage. Yeah. C++ has more package managers than anybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> quantity over quality, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there should be an XKCD in there somewhere. There is. Uh, yeah, so... Um, so let's, yeah, so then let's, obviously this, uh, gets us back to the tooling side. Um, so you have, uh, have spent a lot of time in build, build as a build tool, working on build tools. Yes. Is that what you're working on now? You, you kind of hinted that you're still doing some build stuff. Yeah. Is it build tool? I mean, some tool stuff. Is well, it build tools or other kinds of tools? Uh, so, so I haven't gotten to build tooling yet. We actually have a dedicated tools team, but they're, you know, for the entire organization. Yeah. Um, but because, uh, you know, they're busy dealing with the entire organization, um, really wouldn't be fair for me to be like, hey, can you just go and solve all the problems for C++ build systems for me? Thanks. Um, so I, I, uh, uh, do handle most of the CMake related things. Uh, we do use CMake. We don't have a package manager at the moment, um, because everything's mostly contained with our dependencies. And, um, uh, you know, I also, for the last two years, I've been writing this thing called IXM, which is a, um, uh, stands for, for Izzy's extension modules. Um, it, the, the website and the actual like implementation that's available right now, it's not even pre-alpha, it's broken. I broke it on purpose specifically so that no one would use it um, because it's not ready yet. But uh, the idea behind it is that you include this into your CMake file and it will automatically generate most of your project based off of where your files are located. Kind of like a you know, um, Vector Bool, uh, Colby Pike, who I think was on the last episode. They said yes. Yeah. If I check the site correctly. I don't I don't think it was maybe the last one that was published, but I don't published. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, uh, kind of like his, um, you know, his pitchfork idea, except I went in a different direction with my directory layout and, uh, tried to coincide things with, um, or not coincide, but kind of align them with the way that rust is because the, the rust directory layout is very close to how, you know, C and C plus plus projects have been done over the years. 
Um, and uh, mine's a bit more like, well, if you don't want to want, you know, this to do it for you, then uh, you have to do it yourself. But um, like, we're not going to get in the way and be, you know, ex- extremely strictly forced with, with where things are located. Um, so the, that's, that's some of the tooling stuff I've been doing. And then I'm also, you know, starting to do more stuff with GitHub Actions, which is JS stuff. And then um, I'm also just kind of tired of CMake's <laughs> CLI. So I started writing a, a wrapper around it so I could also get the JSON data because CMake can produce JSON info. Um, but it produces it in this very weird way where you have basically multiple arrays of objects and you have to like constantly do like cross-referencing lookups. So I just want it all as one massive JSON object. And... Um, I don't currently get that with uh, with with the default CMake. Um, I just want to be able to type, you know, tool name configure, tool name build, tool name test, and have the test also build my unit tests as opposed to, well, they weren't built, so I couldn't find them, so the test run <laughs> failed, which is, uh, you know, a problem yeah. with with CMake. And um, you know, just like the last two years, I've kind of learned a lot about the internals of CMake to the point of. Uh, you know, I wrote a, like, <laughs> here's, a, here's a list of cursed things you can do with CMake kind of a thing. Like, you can set emoji variables, um, which, like, it, it, you know what? If you, can't, if you can't set something to the poop emoji as a variable, is it even a modern language? Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it is, right? Right. Yeah. Um, if, if Perl can do it, why can't CMake? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I... So... Sorry, go ahead. I, I haven't really given this much thought, but uh, but it occurs to me that you know kids today, yeah, th- those of us who have gray hair can say kids today are gonna want to use emojis in code. Yeah, and while I think it's really cool that that's technically possible, I kind of think that's a bad idea. <laughs> oh, it's it's terrifying because like you know what's the next step? Are we, are we gonna have a Fortnite dances as variables in? Yeah, that's right. That's right. In our in our languages, I don't know. Um, and if that ever happens because someone heard this and they're like, oh, I bet I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> please don't, please don't show it to me. Cause I don't, I don't want to know that I'm responsible for that idea going out into the world. But, um, I mean, I mean, I, I just, I'm, this is, I, I'm sorry, I should let you go, but I just, yeah, no, it's fine. I'm horrified. I, I think about this when I'm chatting and I hit the little button to show me emojis I could send. And it's like, there's like two dozen of them that just look like faces and they pretty much are all the same to me. Oh no, no, this is a half grin, but this is a grin and this is a, you know, but <laughs> can you imagine trying to keep that straight as a variable? Yeah. That's like, this is well, the, the best, the best thing too, is that, you know, depending on what font you're using or what encoding you're using, it may not show up as, you know, uh, uh, you know, emoji, which, uh, is a, a recent discussion. I think the C++ standards group is having mm-hmm. about how technically, uh, internal coding of, of character sets is implementation defined. So technically speaking, yes, it could work with emoji, but whether it actually treats it as emoji or not is entirely up in the air. <laughs> um, but you can always ask Quarantine for more info on that. He knows way, way more about that stuff than me. And I do not want to peek into that, that nightmare. I'm, I'm busy with, with you know, CMake cursed stuff at the moment, um, but uh, it's it's actually been useful for me because you know most people can't type emoji immediately into their um, into their editor. So when I want to have internal variables, I actually use. Um, so this is this is an example uh, because I've, I know how CMake's um, variable stuff works uh, to to dereference 
an emoji variable is actually impossible in CMake because you have to, if it's not inside of like A to Z, zero to nine, like dash underscore plus and slash, um, you have to put a backslash in front of it. Well, that means you have to put a backslash in front of each of the bytes that make up that emoji, <laughs> um, which you can't really easily do. So, uh, you know, it means you can make a de- an undereferenceable variable and you can only let it be used in places where CMake has to do the dereference for you, like an if statement, a while, a for each. Um, or where, where I use it most is with properties. So I, I set a lot of properties because it turns out under the hood, CMake, uh, so for strings and variables, they're all stored in this massive list and it has to dereference them and do like multiple lookups sometimes and it creates like this whole machine to like dereference things. And then when uh, you use set property or get property, it just uses a hash map underneath the hood. So it's way faster to just set uh, properties on everything, including your targets and like globally, your directories, your projects, all that jazz. So that's what I do. And, um, you know, if I have an internal property, I don't want someone to put to use, I use the reserved emoji, which is, you know, is from the original emoji set, uh, from Japan where it's, it's the, I think it's the technically the Japanese character for reserved. You typically see it with the Japanese character. It's got a green background and it says reserved on it. Um, I think that's meant for reserved parking, but, uh, I actually, actually haven't looked into it, but, um, uh, you know, I, I put it in front of all of my internal variables so that if someone was to use it, you know, and they submitted that as, as part of a code review for their CMake, like someone would probably be like, why is there an emoji here? What are you doing? And hopefully that would like prevent them. Or if they had that discussion that, you know, the person would be like, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't touch this. <laughs> You know, like that's that's kind of like the the goal that I'm going with is is like if you see this and it just gives you like a weird vibe, like maybe just like just don't touch it. Um, it's kind of like a Legends of the Hidden Temple slash Indiana Jones thing. Like, hey, that looks a little weird. Maybe don't touch it. <laughs> um, so that's 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 what I've been doing a lot of, and then um, you know I've been kind of going around to various projects. I've, I've had to take a break from that because, uh, you know, I started my job and then, you know, there are a lot of things happening in the world at the moment. But, um, you know, I, I was going through a various number of C++ and C projects that I like, like uh, the YAML CPP. I improved the the uh, build times there um, because uh, it turns out whenever you have an if statement in, an, in a CMake uh, file, it has to create an entire parser from Bison and flex to parse it and then it destroys it and then it moves it moves on and that's like a lot of processing time or you can put it into a generator expression for most things like if you're like okay if i'm on windows use this flag otherwise if i'm on you know linux use this flag kind of a thing so um reducing branches in your in your cmake file means that your build uh configure step runs faster and CMake's configure step runs single-threaded, whereas generation, it can technically run multi-threaded. So, like, while it will only generate, you know, one build file per, like, target, if you have, like, say, 100 targets and you have to do an if statement for each of them, that's going to be very slow. But if you have um, this this so-called generator expression, which is, like, what if list but worse, in the same way that CMake scripting language is what if tickle but worse... Um, uh, the generator expressions can run multi-threaded, so it, it's because it's just reading data and it just performs string transformations, and it's not having to you know stop everything, check a bunch of state, and, and then produce uh, you know an output or branch. So um, doing that speeds up projects 
dramatically. Um, and uh, some of them have been kind of tough because like they may have like a, a project upstream that ruins things or it makes it very difficult or I can't just like rewrite the whole file for them because <laughs> otherwise like no one understands this now. So I have to do piecemeal changes over time. But, um, you know, I, I was able to get uh, YAML CPP. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to mispronounce this and I apologize to the author in, the, in advance, but it's like a Puget XML or Pugi XML. Um, I also started targeting LibUV. Um, and then I had to take a break from it for a bit, but I was helping uh, some of the Node community. They, they want to move off of the build tool that they have right now, which I'm not going to pronounce um, its, its uh, acronym form because it's technically a slur <laughs> against uh, uh, people who are Roma, uh, which uh, I, I'm not even sure if I technically should be saying that word either. But um, b- basically, the, pro- the tool is called Generate Your Project, and uh, it was originally used by Chrome. It's no longer used by Chrome because they moved on to something that was better. Um, but Node kind of stuck with it. And they kind of wanted to move to CMake. So uh, getting, say, you know, V8 to build with CMake would be really advantageous. And so I've been also helping to get V8 to build with CMake. Um, but that's been, I've been able to touch that since February because, you know, again, uh, I started my new job and all this other stuff. So it's been it's been a lot the last few months. <laughs> so, but been, been trying to stay busy. One of the things you said you have been using uh... C plus plus twenty. Yeah. So how is that working for you? Or or at least as much as 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 much as we can use it. You know, there's uh you know concepts uh, the library is not in Clang, so having to implement most of it has been uh fun because I have to go through and be like, okay, so to implement this I have to implement half of ranges. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> is it type swappable? Well, first off, can do you have ranges swap available? No. Okay, implement ranges swap great um so uh having to um it's been useful in that i'm i'm you know having to learn more about the details of the standard uh with regards to concepts and also as a result ranges um which has then given me some ideas for uh a few papers like um in the standard uh you know we have we have is same the the type trait Mm-hmm. And then there's same as, which is the concept version of that. Although there's there's some details there about subsumption and other stuff that I honestly don't entirely understand because the term subsumption is not defined in the standard. And they just kind of assume that you know what it means. Um, but in the standard, we have a lot of instances of not same as. So you know, like uh, whenever we have a std any, right? If it takes a templated t, uh, you have to make sure that that type is not a std any. Um, same thing with optional. Like, is this a? Uh, you have to make sure that this this specialization of optional coming in is not the same one as myself, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so you end up seeing a lot of this not same as, and it's like, well, why don't we just add that to standards everywhere? So why don't we just have a std different from, which is just not same as? Um, so it's a paper I'm going to be submitting sometime, hopefully for the the July. Um, so were you saying? Wait a minute. Uh, proposal. Go ahead. Sorry, you got you. You distracted me. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a squirrel running by, and oh. squirrel. <laughs> um, can uh, can an any of t not hold? Can can t not be an any of something? Can an any not hold an any? Uh, an any can't. Or were you saying in a particular a, a particular context? Uh, so if I want to copy an any, um, then and, and I want its copy constructor to run, I don't want that any to store another any right i want it to copy it i don't want it to to just like take it and then maybe allocate space for an any because then you end up with an any of an any of an any of an any yeah right right of maybe like 
an int, right? Because so, that's just wasteful. So you need to check to make sure that it isn't doing that. Um, technically speaking, I think there's a dot in place. So you could have an empty any and then do any dot in place, another any, and then it will store the any. But also, why would you, why would you do that? <laughs> Please don't do that. Generics. So te- yes, te- technically an any can store an any, but why? Why? Okay, I don't understand. But what, but what you're saying is synta- syntactically naive attempts to do this will not. Right, right, and, and that's a that's the thing. Like I discovered back in um, 2013 when like these papers were first coming out, um, I was like, oh, I need to like prevent this from happening, and we'd use like uh, you know enable if not is same as or uh, not is same v you know kind of a thing. It's a very common like construct. So you know saying requires uh, you know different from myself, right? Like decal type this is, is necessary. And you have to like do remove CB ref and all that stuff. Actually, I think a vector pool is, is in the chat there saying uh, alike and unlike, but, um, uh, the, my point though, is that like, I need, I need not same as, which is different from not same as remove CB ref T because that gets used uh, a lot as well. So, uh, although originally it used to be decay T for all that stuff, and then we finally added remove CV ref because we realized, oh wait, that actually breaks a lot of stuff. So, um, just small things like that. Uh, so that's the concept. Yeah. So, what is the advantage of, did you say different from? Yeah. Versus just the not same as. Yeah, it's it's, it's the inverse. Um, the, one of the nice things is that um, instead of because like right now with concepts, right? If I want to have an abbreviated contact, uh, uh, concept like template parameter, right? Like I can write template destructible T. I cannot write uh, template not same as, you know, void or something like that. Right. So I need to to have some way to say, okay, I I need this to be the inverse of it. So I can just have an abbreviated form because, um, you know, one, one thing that is uh, an IFNDR, you know, ill form, no dynamic required is if you have... Um, two concepts that end up having the same requirements or they're ambiguous the compiler technically doesn't have to say that it selected the wrong one um or if you want to like you, you know there's like a specificity to concepts of like it's it's kind of i hate to say this but it, it reminds me most of uh, uh css selectors uh there's like a level of of selection and preference and so the more specific your concepts are uh, you know, the easier it is to select and that can involve things like, you know, compound, uh, concepts, which, um, I, I personally enjoy way more than having to put parentheses around my entire expressions. Um, and, uh, just, just having, I think for some of the basic ones where it's, it's a, you know, a Boolean, uh, like concepts where it's basically being taken from a type trait that was an is, you know, underscore whatever, um, Having an inverse of that tends to be fairly useful, I think. So, like, I, you know, there's the uh, proposed is specialization of. Sometimes I need to make sure it's not a specialization of some type, you know, because um, I wanted to do something different. And having that as a concept uh, allows me to be more specific. It makes it easier for me to implement a Nebloid or something similar, um, or even just like for a tag invoke kind of a thing. And I just end up saving time because then when I go to write my actual code, I'm just putting, you know, you know, concept name, auto double ref variable name, and I'm done. I don't have to put a, you know, requires after it. I don't have to, 
you know, do a requires, requires, no accept, no accept. I just have to do that one line and I'm, you know, I still have to do the no accept, no accept, but still like it's, it's, <laughs> we, we haven't solved that problem yet, but like, um, if, if honestly though, if that, if that concept was also marked as no accept, like then I actually don't have to repeat the no accept. Right. So there's, there's like a, a lot that I think could be gained from just having some inversion. I'm not saying all of them need to be, because a lot of them are not just as simple, like this is not destructible, right? Um, it's, it's more of just like, is this the base of or derived from or not derived from, you know, like, are they, are they siblings kind of a thing? It's, it, I'm not doing the wording here too well, but like, I'm just kind of spitballing ideas, but um, that, that's, that's the thing that I've noticed is that we kind of need some inversion of things. Like we have signed integral and unsigned integral. What other type of integral is there? Well, there's the, the built-in ones of like, you know, char and stuff like that. But those are, those are like, that's, that's because of C, right? Like that's not a, a decision that we willingly made. So um, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to say like, you know, there's an inversion to switch off of them. And uh, it ends up being more readable, especially for juniors. Um, or people not coming from C++, like being able to show my concept code to, to people on my team who are not well-versed in C++, who do, you know, occasionally mess up with lifetimes because they're used to the Rust borrow checker saving them. Uh, being able to show them concepts and be like, hey, like this is going to save you. And they're like, oh, okay, this is like way easier to read than, mm-hmm. you know, this template mo- metaprogramming garbage that you've showed us before that like <laughs> made me dread working with you. Um, and I was like, oh, no, that was just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So that, that, that's not going to get put into production. That's for fun. That's for me. C programmers have a twisted idea of fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. C++ programmers. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, C programmers too. Uh, just as a, just as a sidebar, you mentioned uh, tag invoke and Nibloids. If you don't know what those are, anyone listening, Gashbert Usman just did a talk at uh, C++ London, which is up on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, really interesting stuff. I actually actually watched that uh, last night because I I've just been calling them customization point objects and I was like ah oh, this is way cooler <laughs> than what I've been having to do with like priority dispatching and you know kind of sort of hoping it works and seeing that it does but the the tag invoke stuff would save my save my bacon although in the case of some of the CPOs in the standard uh, you still need to do tag uh, or not tag invoke you need still need to do priority dispatch but you know that's like swap begin and end. Oh, well. <laughs> so, so um, in part of your uh, use of uh, 20, are you using modules? And how, how do you feel about that? So uh, I'm actually trying to make sure that our, that our headers will be able to move over to two modules when that's available through build systems. However, um, I, I personally think that like while modules, the feature will be available, build systems and uh, tooling for them will not be at a state that we're ready until uh, the tooling TR comes out. Um, which, you know, I've, I finally called into to one of the, the meetings because I finally had time one day. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the, like the standards committee is doing a lot of telecons at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of those are scheduled the exact same time that I have a morning standup meeting. So I have not been able to go to many of them. Um, I'm trying to keep up with, you know, the notes and stuff like that, but there's something different about being there and being able to bring something up, you know, at the last minute. Um, one, one personal victory I'm very, uh, proud of is, um, uh, we, I've been having this argument for, um, I think since, uh, since, uh, Hawaii, 
Um, so Kona 2019 um, was, uh, which is when they, they announced it. Um, excuse me. Uh, the uh, file paths were going to be originally a list of numbers in JSON, which like makes sense for, you know, you need to worry about UCS2 and bytes and stuff like that. But JSON is supposed to be human readable and machine like parsable. And uh, it, it isn't when you have to do stuff like that. And um, so I've been making the argument of like, well, just if I can say ASCII is like what I just want to support as a build system, why can't I? So um, the actual wording isn't in there yet, but we will have a, like if your build system wants to support more than just like basic UTF-8 or something like that, like it will tell you, but uh, the bare minimum will be basically ASCII characters, which is what most of us currently use anyways. Um, and uh, yeah, so we don't use modules at work yet because there's no build system that supports it. We're using CMake. Uh, we're on 3.16, a bunch of 20.04. Um, so we don't have, you know, the ability to actually use them. Um, I, I'm feeling way better about them than I did in 2017. <laughs> um, things are getting better every time I see them. Uh, I'm still a little mad that, uh, you know, I can't do piecemeal importing of something. So if someone is being lazy with writing their, their module cause they couldn't get it to work and they export everything. Uh, and they didn't namespace it, that can cause issues for me if I want to have, like, say, a nameless namespace in my implementation module. And uh, if I only want to re-export, you know, because we now have this, this concept of reachability and visibility. Right. If I want only some of their API to be reachable um, versus visible, uh, I can't really do that at the moment. I, I can't say, okay, uh, I want to import all of type traits from the C++ standard library, but I only want to re-export, you know, is same V and like is base of. Um, and at the moment, like, like we might be able to fix that in the future, but by not having it up front, it makes it a bit more difficult to add that in later. Cause if we want to add it as a keyword or as a syntactical thing, um, a lot of tooling out there is going to then have to be updated, which if it doesn't get updated, then you can't use it to begin with either. Um, because we have to scan our dependencies, you know, we're, we're kind of, back to 1995 having to you know make depths so it's it's unfortunate that that didn't seem to cross anyone's mind at any point and also i wasn't smart enough to write a paper at the time um because like there, there's a lot about modules that you know i i still didn't understand at the time because i was still learning um and then uh, uh also i i personally want to kill the preprocessor uh, so like, it's cool that we can have, you know, if defs now, but I just, I just want conditional imports that would solve so many problems. Um, we wouldn't have to really argue about static if all that much. Cause you just say, well, if you don't import it, then it's not available. Problem solved. Like it's not, it's just removed from the entire, uh, you know, syntax tree entirely, but that's going to complicate build systems even more, uh, if we add it later on. So it's, it's, it's better, but it's not where I wish things were. So. So, so we have the breaking story that you're not entirely pleased with modules. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's well, it, it's it's gone from like I am upset and angry to I'm, um, uh, <laughs> you know, like I'm 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 filled with uh, what's the word? I'm filled with ennui. I am I am very blasé. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a meh. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, like. 
I'm gonna have to live with it. And uh, you know, if if things don't work out, I'm glad that I was able to learn Rust because I can always just run to that community instead. <laughs> <laughs> where they have where you know modules and namespaces are basically the same thing. So. So what about C plus plus twenty three? Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, I know that twenty technically hasn't been published yet. We still have it till the end of the year, and um, uh, you know, like I was able to get a few papers in just because we had so much wording to go through in say Kona. Um, I was able to make it to Prague uh, because I had uh, quit my job at that point. Um, so, I, but before I was at LFI, I was at uh, uh, Mercedes Benz. The project was winding down, uh, and I was driving about a hundred miles every day by car on i-880 which um if you've ever uh, been on that freeway uh i grew up in socal and people talk a lot of dirt about the 405 and the 5 in la um i hate i-880 <laughs> you'll notice that i don't put a the in front of it despite having grown up in socal it doesn't deserve it <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah i i anyways i'm going off topic there but um I, I wasn't able to go to Prague, so i wasn't able to you know present byte swap um with the the changes so uh you know we're gonna get i have to update the paper for it so that it's it's ready for c plus plus twenty three um but uh you know i've got my byte swap paper uh i'm also working on updating uh retain pointer for the july mailing um we're gonna have a uh on list discussion for that so if if anyone listening to this wants to get feedback on p0468 you can find it at wg21.link slash p0468 for the um it's a it's a that's retain pointer yes that's retain pointer so it's it's a very older paper uh the paper is very out of date at this point compared because it was written for c17 um but it's been on the back burner for a variety of reasons because i want to see how concepts were going to affect things um and I was also busy with, you know, all the other papers that I wrote for San Diego. Um, I'll, I'll... So tell us about Retain Pointer. Uh, so Retain Pointer is, um, is it's basically a more modern version of Boost Intrusive Pointer. So Boost Intrusive Pointer at the time came out in 2001. Uh, we hadn't learned a lot of lessons from C++ at the time. Uh, so it, it has a few, in, in my personal opinion, they aren't deficiencies, but it's just, uh, you know, like it can't be fixed for the future without breaking old code. So I needed to, to start with a clean room implementation. And, um, what I was doing at the time that I wrote it is, uh, or wrote the paper rather, is I had this type where I noticed I was, you know, I was at the time wrapping, uh, objective C. So I didn't have to write objective C or objective C plus plus. I didn't have to write. Uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about the copying of uh, Python's data structures. Uh, I didn't have to worry about direct accessing COM. I was just doing all this stuff where everything was ref counted. And I noticed that there was a, a, a very common theme of most of them were uh, would have an increment. They'd have a decrement. Sometimes they would have a use count value. And uh, most of the time they were, quote unquote, atomic. Um, but whether they were or not actually didn't matter because most of the time you're just operating on an object on a single thread. And if you need to actually perform a lot of operations, you would probably do a lock anyways. Um, so retain pointer kind of builds off of boost uh, intrusive pointer. But um, I also had been learning more about unique pointer because unique pointer um, turns out you can have a custom deleter. That deleter can have state. And uh, I also was just like... I. One of my favorite types in the same library is Unique Pointer. It's such a well-thought-out, well-designed API. It's not perfect, but it, it does so much 
and I was tired of having to write a unique pointer like wrapper and then write a separate increment and decrement operations uh, set because then I wouldn't be able to just have like a clean copy. So um, retain, retain pointer is an intrusive pointer that removes the Boolean from the uh, interface on whether it should adopt or retain by default, which um, if you read the boost documentation, there's, you know, you can pass in a pointer and then you pass in the uh, Boolean. And unless you know what that Boolean's doing, uh, it may work. It may not work <laughs> like the way that you intended it to. Um, you know, I think that's a lesson that I've learned is that Booleans probably don't belong as parameters and functions. They, they're fine for return values. They personally, I don't think they belong um, as, uh, as, as parameters, but um, at least not without named parameters, but um, with, uh, with unique pointer, it has this really neat feature where if I want to, if, if, the, if I'm given a type def, right? Like uh, for instance, OpenCL has a CL underscore device. That is an actual pointer, right? It's a, it's a struct that's been typed F to a pointer. Um, so to actually get the actual pointer type so that I can do, you know, add pointer T, I need to first remove pointer T and then pass it into the unique pointer. Um, but with the custom deleter, I can do using pointer equals that type. And then unique pointer will use that type internally for storage. And then it will... Um, uh, you know, it will it will return the type that that I want, which is the actual pointer, which is a CL device. And retain pointer uses the same approach. So you have a traits type because the point of an intrusive pointer is that all the state is stored in the actual um, smart pointer or, or the object that you're managing, right? Right, uh, and that's what we should probably say because you referenced boost intrusive. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I. <laughs> yeah. So. And they, and the idea with an intrusive pointer is. Yeah. Uh, compared to a shared pointer, yes, a shared pointer will have a separate ref count block, which may have to be allocated separately depending on whether you call, make shared, blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. Uh, but intrusive pointer, the idea is that we expect that the object itself, uh, the type itself, has the a ref count as one of its properties. Right. Which is more efficient in many ways. It also makes it really easy to get a pointer to it because it doesn't have to find this from this yeah. yeah the object but the trade-off is that the object is intrusively designed meaning it's designed from the beginning with the knowledge that it's going to be um held in a pointer like this whereas with shared pointer you can make an object that knows nothing about the fact that it's shared and and then you can that's non-intrusive right right so that's the right yeah sorry I, I, so that's the set of trade-offs it's actually yeah yeah i i forgot to, to mention that part thanks for yeah 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 for filling that in um, it's more it's more efficient to do an intrusive pointer, but it's uh, less flexible. Right, and and you know one of the one of the problems that happens is that people assume like oh it, this is a shared like this this is a test has a reference count I'll shove it into a shared pointer. Ooh. Well, now you got two problems. At least it's it's a very common thing, <laughs> right? It's, but but now you've got two problems, right? One, um, you've got two reference counts. Two. You've got the ability to um, modify the reference count of the object separate from the one that shared pointers uh, in referencing. And three, I don't know how to count. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you should be writing reference counts in. <laughs> was, was that, yeah, exactly. So um, that's what happens when you retain by default. Anyways, um, <laughs> that's a. I'll, I'll bring that up in a moment. But um, so. <laughs> There's there's some contention on whether we should adopt or retain by default, but that's that, that was a little joke. But anyways, um, so 
retain traits has has uh, three potential operations. Two are required. Uh, that is uh, a function called increment that takes this pointer type, and a function called decrement. And whether decrement actually deallocates the object or destroys the object or calls it a structure is up to you, the implementer of said traits type. Um, by default, uh, we do have a little bit of an upgrade path for people coming from Boost Intrusive Pointer. It is not a perfect upgrade path. You do have to make a lot of changes. It is not going to be a, a perfect one-to-one -one transfer uh, in terms of semantics. Um, but uh, there is a, a, an atomic reference count and a non-atomic reference count type um, that are added as mixins, kind of like an enable shared uh, or an, yeah, enable shared. Enable shared from this. Yeah, from this. Thank you. I couldn't. I, could, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember the word. <laughs> well, it's such a such a wonderful type. <laughs> yeah. Right. Enable shared from this. That's the. Yeah. So so easy to remember. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So the the uh the the limitation I ran into was um. Or, or rather, like, I, I have not really run into a limitation much. However, uh, after working around with things for a bit, I noticed that, um, you know, some libraries actually require you to increment the reference count. So, like, you'll allocate the object, and, like, now you need to add one to it, always. So, so we had to come up with the concept of retain and adopt. So, retain is increment by default. Uh -huh. So when, when I take this pointer in by default, I will always add, um, uh, you know, I will always increment the reference count. If I'm adopting it, it's as if I was creating a unique pointer, right? Like I just shove it into the unique pointer and I'm done. Um, the, the issue that has come up is that uh, Mark Zaren from VMware brought up that internally for their types, they want to retain by default. And I was like, you know, that's a, that's a fair argument. I understand like why you would want that. So I, I had a um, you know, in the same way that I had to detect if there's a pointer definition, I detect if there's a, de at the time, default action for the retain traits. And so if it's not there, then I choose adopt by default. Um, Mark's argument is that it should be retained by default if there is no, um, you know, default action. My argument is most of the time, these types have been kicking around for a long time. Most of them are adopt already. So the, the only change that I've made actually is that uh, I've changed it from default action to reset action because I realized also when you go to reset these objects, you also have to pass in whether you want to adopt or retain sometimes if you want it to differ from the default. And um, there's been some arguments. Uh, Tony Van Aird uh, had said, well, it should be explicit every time. The problem with that is that it ends up breaking a lot of APIs that expect a unique pointer-like type that retain pointer honestly slots into perfectly. You can actually... Um, minus, I think, the uh, inability to copy a unique pointer, you can basically use them as the same type. Um, also, the there's no get deleter. So, you know, if it, it has to call it get deleter on, on the uh, smart pointer, it'll fail on retain pointer. But otherwise, these, these types are basically siblings. Um, and so by requiring it to always have an explicit... Um, you know, second parameter in the constructor or reset that ends up breaking that, that, um, you know, that relationship between unique pointer and retain pointer. And it, it, it would kind of be like, you wouldn't like unique pointer. If every time you had a build unique pointer, you also had to construct default delete, you know, mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't enjoy using it at that point. And, uh, it, the same thing goes for, um, you know, retain pointer. I, I don't enjoy doing it that way. So the, 
the argument, what it really boils down to is, um, and this isn't meant to be a dig at, at Mark or anyone, but like, they just don't want to have to add one line to all of their traits types. Whereas otherwise all of us will have to then add one line to all of our traits types. When we interact with com, when we interact with objective C, when we interact with uh, Python and uh, you know, uh, some parts of Mono, um, any JSON C library that might use it. Curl, I think uses some uh, reference counting. Uh, Open SSL uses reference counting, right? And all of these are, required to adopt by default because you're constructing them and really are you retaining them when you construct it um so that issue ends up like that's honestly been one of the biggest issues um and we're going to have a, a probably a huge discussion about that on the, on the mailing list at some point uh, on the internal reflector but uh my my personal opinion is it should be adopted by default because then all of us have to write less code even if it means that this one library at one, you know, member of the committee has to write one line of code for a few types internally. Well, I, I trust that it'll all work out yeah. because C++ has such an amazing history of getting the defaults right all the time. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually been a huge, a huge, like, uh, um, back in, in San Diego, uh, you know, I had proposed um, us adding a std arguments and std environment type so you could get the current, like, processes one. And um, I was like, this needs to be UTF-8 by default. And so it was in SG-16, and uh, according to the time, was like, but we never get the defaults right. I'm like, I don't care. I will not push this paper forward unless we get the defaults right. And he, he just, like, sat back, like, whoa, like, <laughs> <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> but, like, I, I just because we got the defaults wrong before doesn't mean we can't get the defaults right now. It's 2020. Like, we we can move beyond our mistakes, I think. Um, even if they are ABI related, although like I have some ideas on how to tackle that problem, but it just puts more burden on implementers. So they're not going to like it, but it would, it would be a solution, um, to permit, uh, you know, user defined extern mangling of symbols, which sounds terrifying on the surface, but, um, you know, I would need to write it down into a paper, but the, the gist of it is. You know, if you're using C++ 17, you'll link against the C++ 17 symbols. If you're using C++ 20, you'll link against the C++ 20 symbols. Um, and if we ever have to do an ABI break, well, then that's just a hard hard stopper. And if someone needs to do a, you know, conversion between them, then they can do that. But it's, it's not a simple problem to solve, obviously. Um, but it is, in my personal opinion, if we don't do something about this ABI stuff, we are going to uh, regret it because... The longer we wait, um, the longer it, uh, or the harder it will be to fix it. And additionally, uh, at some point, someone's probably just going to fork the standard library and just like ignore most of the language. And if a majority of people aren't using the standard library, then you end up with a situation like the D language had, where you had the D language's standard library, and then you also had Phobos, which was the community standard library that everyone recommended that you use. And while they were able to fix that with D2 by breaking the ABI um, and changing a lot of things, like that's not a thing that we can do in C++. So, you know, our, our options are the ABI stable forever until the heat death of the universe, or people just won't contribute to the standard library anymore. And if we don't have uh, 
LEWG and LWG, then like, what's the point of having most of the committee in the first place? Well, I, yeah, it's, it's a tough, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough call, but I tend, I tend to agree. Um, I think that, that a, a predicted pattern to say, okay, well, every other release, every six years, or even every nine years, but, but to, but to set it down and say, this is what's going to happen and it's going to, and you can plan for it now. And, um, and you know, this is what your expectations should be. Um, yeah. I think that may be a sane approach, although I completely understand the idea that, that people, you know, are in situations where they have been, um, purchasing libraries where they get them as, yeah. as uh, yeah. and binary only or something like that. And, and I understand that. A hundred percent as well. The, the thing that I have found, which, um, you know, like I've been more in the web space lately. And the thing that I have found is that because other languages break stuff on like even minor releases, people think that you can't compile C plus plus 17 against C plus plus 11, that you had to have everything be the exact same version. Um, and like, you know, that's true for stuff like cars, where you have to have a compiler that is certified. So you can't just mix and match compilers. So like, it's fine there. But, um, you know, I, I was interviewing uh, while I was at, at Mercedes. I was actually looking for other positions because I was like, I know this project's winding down and I don't want to keep having to drive 100 miles every day. And, um, you know, I interviewed with a variety of places and they were like, oh, well, we use 14 here and we can't upgrade to 17. And I was like, oh, like, what is there like a library preventing you? No, we you just can't compile against seventeen against fourteen. And I was like, that's that's not true. Like I will I will demonstrate for you that that is in fact a false statement. And um, like a lot of them were just shocked. Like, whoa! Like, has it always been this way? I'm like, yes, it has always been this way. <laughs> yes, it has always been this way. And it's actually a problem because we want to fix things. And they were kind of shocked that that was even the case. Um, and so. Like, I, I understand the concept of, like, implementers are hearing from, you know, like, when they break something, they will hear from anyone that that affected. Mm-hmm. But for people that want to move into the C++ space, a lot of them are avoiding it because they think that, like, it's not that the language is breaking things every three years. It's that they, they think it's just like every other language. So they don't want to have to invest in a tool chain that doesn't have a package manager, that doesn't have a dedicated compiler that they can easily get people spun up with if they then can't recompile everything underneath the new version of the language. Um, and, uh, you know, being like, like I, I had already explained uh, at, at work, like before I was even uh, interviewed technically with them, like, oh yeah, like if you're on 17, like I, once C++ 2A is available, you can just start using that right away. Um, and they're like, oh, cool. Like we weren't sure because it's not really clear in any of the documentation for any of the compilers that you can do that. I, I think people would be a bit more like fine with that yeah. but um or or would be willing to invest in c++ a bit more if if they knew that but not everyone does you have to like talk to an implementer from the standards committee to find that out right like why else would people be like hey here's this thing that fixes this problem but it breaks abi and they're like oh that's a that's an issue like yeah how, like i i didn't even know that it was like like one of the biggest problems until you know i finally went to a committee meeting in at san diego um and uh the I guess the um, the the thing I think that we would need to do is decide, like, once we know how the feature is going to be used to allow us to break ABI, 
or to have stable ABIs um, that we need to add it to the standard and then say, okay, in 15 years, we're finally going to flip the switch. So you have 15 years to get everything set up. The tooling will be there by then, hopefully. And like, you'll be able to call back into older, older code libraries that, you know, can't be recompiled or anything like that. Um, or, you know, maybe I'll just like give up at some point and just like at the age of 60, be like, all right, give me every compiled library that you don't have the source code to, and I will rewrite it <laughs> from scratch. <laughs> Bugs included. Like, I don't know. Like, that, that would be 30 years from now. But still, like, you know, who, who knows? Like, maybe I just wouldn't care anymore at that point. So it's... um. I, I know in, in it, when I talk to people very often, I uh, they, they assume that, that a compiler is going to have a flag and you'll say, this is, this is, you know, compile this with 11, compile this with 17, compile this, whatever. And they're really surprised to know, no, no, the way most compilers are working, when they introduce new features, they're just on because there's no backward compatibility issue on that. Yeah. You know, if you don't, if your syntax doesn't ever use whatever, if you don't ever use a Lambda, then it doesn't matter if your compiler supports Lambdas or not. Yeah. If you don't use it, it's just not there. Yeah. You know, we talk about those corner cases where we actually break code, but they really are corner cases. I mean, it yeah. doesn't happen much. I, it, and so almost... In- oh, I've run into it way more than I probably should have at this point. So like, I, I know the consequences of, of you know making a, a one-line change to update something to 11 and it breaking ABI. Uh, when, I, when I was at Apple back in 2014... Um, you know, they were using a library I'd written, which like you you had known about, which was minimalistic core at the time. And, uh, you know, I had my my observer pointer. And uh, at the time I had written it, uh, you know, equals default didn't work on GCC 4.8 because it, you know, they didn't fix that until I think like 4.8.1 or something like that. So, so then it happened that I hadn't done equals delete for the default cons- uh, constructor. Well, I changed it from empty braces to equals default. And then we suddenly started getting whenever we, we would construct one of these, or if it was coming from a library that had used it, but it hadn't been recompiled with this header-only library, we would it would link just fine, but then it would crash. <laughs> and it would, it would just seg fault because it was basically writing a, a pointer's worth of zeros to the stack and was just doing a stack overwrite. Now, granted, that could have just been a GCC 4.8 bug because I found other things with that version of the compiler where it would zero out a std vector for no dang reason which infuriated me beyond all, all point because I had written a JSON parser from scratch. And at the time, SIMD JSON wasn't a thing, uh, you know, and Loman JSON wasn't a thing. So, it, you know, and I was beating out rapid JSON by, by a, a decent percentage, um, but we couldn't deploy the code because we weren't on, you know, 4.9, which it worked with, and it worked with 4.7, but it didn't work with 4.8 because it would just zero out this one std vector in this one line of code, and we couldn't figure out why. Hmm. Um, so... It was, it was, uh, it also should, should note like at the time Apple had banned GCC, but this was a team that had been purchased. Yeah. I was going to say that. And then GCC at Apple was, was permitted to use GCC <laughs> until they could move over to Clang, but they couldn't move over to Clang because the, you know, the code wasn't ready yet. And, uh, I think when I left, they had just moved to Clang, um, back in 2018. So, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very well aware of this, like this, the small corner case stuff, um, but it's it's you know. But that may be le- well. That's that's less about the yeah the language incompatibility than just a particular implementation, a particular tool with a particular bug. And right, right. The the quality in general of compilers is so high that uh, it's one thing that um, when you particularly when you teach beginners, 
they're really quick to think there must be a bug in the compiler because my code couldn't possibly be wrong. Yeah. It couldn't possibly be, you know, well, <laughs> this bug can't be mine. It must be the compiler's. I- my my coworkers thought that I was uh, that I was doing that that classic thing of like the compiler must be wrong because why else would this this code be generating poorly? And I was like, no, like I I know for sure that my code is correct. I'm like, but your code doesn't work, so it must be you. <laughs> and and I I did two things. One, I pulled I pulled Linus Torvalds like massive rant of why you shouldn't like why GCC four point eight was banned for compiling the Linux kernel because of code generation bugs. And then I also showed them, here it is compiling with 4.7. Here it is compiling with 4.9. <laughs> here it is compiling with, uh, you know, trunk. Look, it compiles with Clang 3.3, 3.4, 3.5, 3.6. I'm pretty sure the this is a bug in the compiler. And then I found the actual issue on the GCC tracker, which is not the most, you know, easy to browse thing. Yeah. And just posted that in an email. And they're like, all right, fine. Like, well, it's, you're right. Jeez, calm down. <laughs> I was, you know, I was 25. I was, I was a little, little, uh, <laughs> little angrier at the time. Well, um, I, th- I think I said it on this show even that the, uh, the, the more experienced you are as a C++ programmer, the more likely you are to actually find a compiler bug, and the less likely you are to assume it is a compiler bug. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I, I've, I've absolutely destroyed compilers so many times like one one time one time i found a bug with um const expert and clang and it was such a deep level of a bug that when i submitted it to the clang team the air the you know to the, the internal bug tracker the, the message i got back was listen i i'm busy for the next six months i do not have time for a deep dive into const expert and clang um have you considered not doing this for your code <laughs> like do they have a oh i was just i was just playing around and i just I, like i i completely you know i seg faulted clang i just figured you would want to know and the, the, they were just like okay but have you considered not doing this in the future <laughs> <laughs> and it, is there a uh is there an emoji that looks like a white flag because that sounds like that's what they've said is like no we're... The, there is there's a there's a white flag emoji yeah <laughs> Um, and I mean, like it was it, what it was was I had I had applied. Um, I think I had I had declared an inline cost expert static align as align of something like just like I put every qualifier possibly could, and that worked. It would error, and then I put mutable in there, and it just completely crapped the bed. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> I was just I was just like I can't. I I, I must be having like a, a stroke. Like this can't be working correctly, right? And so I uh, I messaged a friend over irc i was like hey like you've worked with compiler details do you get this bug too and they were like let me try and they just came back with you know wtf <laughs> just like wh- why would you do this to me that was <laughs> that was the start of me doing cursed things honestly was like oh i i managed to to crash the compiler so um and uh, i i will give the compiler's credit i have not really been able to do that since like i at the 2014 to 2017 era of me crashing the compiler on a regular basis is very, it's very rare for me to actually get a compiler error where, you know, it's an internal compiler error now versus uh, like, Oh, I forgot a semicolon again in the year 2020 um, concepts. Also, Oh my God, the, the number of semicolons we need to put in various places. I just, we got to make them optional. We just, there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's 
But speaking, see if we can get into about JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of speaking of mutable, yeah, uh, there is precedent then because mutable uh, lambdas are not mutable by default. Yeah, yeah. And that so sometimes we get the default right. Yeah, yeah. There is precedent for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're not constexpr by default, and so I'm sure you know Ludion was. But they are now. Oh uh, no! You have to add the constexpr keyword. So con- constexpr goes after after the parens now. Um, I also uh, kind of wish that uh, the order of where to put requires, no accept, override, final, uh, const qualifiers, and uh, in the case of lambda's const expert, was a bit more easier to remember than, okay, uh, I haven't used virtual functions in like uh, six months. Um, does the override go before or after the no accept? Well, let's try it out. Oh, got that one wrong. Right, so, oh, no, I messed it up again. It's damn like just <laughs> every time <laughs> it's it's uh i hate having to shotgun my own syntax is the thing instead of like opening up cpp reference and then just like browsing to the page but i'm just like i'm right here just compile it but <laughs> well um yeah i think that um i think that trying to uh, uh play with the order of of keywords is not contentious at all. I think Bill and I are both well aware that 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 people uh, people have no strong feelings about this and are willing to willing to go with the flow, whatever the code base is. Yeah. Oh, actually, actually, John, I have a really important question for you. So I, I know about the whole you know east const const west argument, but have you considered east volatile versus volatile west? <laughs> Um, deprecated. I think I think that the logic for that the arguments mostly would fall down that it should be treated the same way. You, uh, you'd think, you'd think, but the Clang format people, it turns out, had to have a huge discussion on whether they wanted to go with east or west, and then they're like, "But wait, what about volatile? Well, it should follow the same one. But what if we don't want it to?" <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm I'm now I'm now an East Cons volatile West kind of gal. So it's <laughs> a so real time update according to CPP reference for lambdas. The function call operator will be constexpr anyway if it happens to satisfy all constexpr function requirements. Oh, interesting. That that is not what I remember reading. But since since C plus plus seventeen. Oh, well, you learn something new every day. Yes, and I'm. <laughs> We actually fixed the, the backwards default there. How about that? Wow. Was that a defect report or was that just a, a feature change? I don't know the history of it. Hmm. Just remembered that coming in. Now, if we can just get that for every inline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on that. Well, uh, my my favorite thing is uh, you would probably have to get in touch with Bryce about this because um, he, he was on that mentioned it i think in a summary post from Prague, but i think with modules now uh functions that are defined in line like they would be in a class or in in like a, an interface module are not in line by default anymore i think they are they are technically not in line um and that's for code generation reasons so I think you're going to have to start peppering inline around your code. 
if you start to move to modules. Is that the inline attribute? Uh, inline the the qualifier. Right, but that doesn't mean doesn't that. make it inline. I mean, inline doesn't mean inline. Inline means is safe to be in the header multiple times. Yes, that's what inline actually means, right? Right, right. But uh, with with modules, you can't really do that. Um, this was this was this was a well, but you don't need it either with modules, right? I mean, well, if if um, you know, if you want to special, well, this is also another thing too, um, which I, I want to fix extern template, and I can't because it's it's just spread across the standard in like thirty different places. But um, you know, oh yeah, uh, Victor Bull in the chat here, indeed, in class method definitions are no longer implicitly inline. Yeah, so um, that's only true for within a module, right? Uh, if, if it's in a module, I don't know if it's, if it counts, if it's in a header that you then import into the module, um, I'm sure, I'm sure someone can, can like probably expand on that later, but, um, the Colby's typing. So the, uh, yeah, Colby's typing. Give us the answer, Colby. (laughs) The chat's 10 seconds behind us. (laughs) (laughs) Do the work for me. Thanks. (laughs) All right. They're also, uh, yeah. uh, he and John Eater are also arguing about whether it should be. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I saw that. <laughs> T, T ref space A or T space ref A. Yeah. Uh, well, I. Or T space ref space A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, traditional T is still online. Yeah. So that, that was a change that I was surprised at, but it, I honestly welcome it because um, it actually makes my life easier with, with regards to extra template because right now, you know, uh, extra template. Aside from the other issues that I brought up with it in a, a different paper, um, uh, so so you know I'm I'm wrapping OpenSSL for C++ right now. Um, so it's the C++ 20 capable library, and um, the problem I've run into is that you know I need reflection over over names of functions so I can generate the actual function name, but I have to use a preprocessor, so I need to um, basically generate a traits type for, based off of the name of a type, and then it generates this one class. But I don't want to define all those functions in line because they're actually not available. I had to include a separate header for them. Um, so I just want to declare this, this uh, trace type, but then I can't then say extern template, this partial specialization of a template and then define that template specialization and instantiate it in a separate, you know, translation unit. I have to instead extern template template that, uh, that class after it has been defined, and it would be really cool if I could just not have to do that. But uh, the compiler will will complain otherwise. I also think it's technically an IFNDR under modules, um, but you know, there's yeah. Also, uh, Colby, you keep using that keyword. I don't think it means. I think it means inconceivable. <laughs> inconceivable. Inlineable. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, but yeah, the the multiple times in a in a TE thing has changed because of how modules work. This was an ash, uh, an issue that was brought up when we were discussing, um, you know, how do you have because we can now do you know namespace name colon colon name colon colon name. But what if you want that second namespace to be inline? And uh, Alistair had uh, you know stated like let's let's have it be colon colon inline name. And honestly, I can't think of a better option so i was fine with it and i was like you know like that's fine and um i can't remember who it was that brought it up i just know that they, they worked at mongo i can't remember 
which of like the the four people that got the standards meeting mentioned it, but uh, they were like, oh, um, like well, you could just declare forward declare it and then just reopen it later. And I was like, that's not going to work with mobs. Like, no, for sure it won't. And uh, it turned out that yeah, like you you can't technically you know re you, you can't declare a namespace and then mark it as inline later on. Um, under modules you can currently kind of sort of do that clang will complain but it won't like freak out about it so you can just do like dash w no <laughs> right but um <laughs> solves hey that solves all problems right dash w no everything problem solved um and uh uh so like you know but that then it would break underneath modules and it would be undefined behavior as well as i think it would be an odr violation as well um so it ends up being like pain the butt <laughs> So, such is life. Well, we should probably start to wrap up here, right? Yeah. 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 But it's been great having you on. It's been great being here. Uh, it's too bad we couldn't get you to say anything controversial, but maybe <laughs> next time. Right? <laughs> I think I think the controversy is going to be like, wait, is he fine with modules? So. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the breaking news. Yeah. 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 Is he now fine with modules? <laughs> I, I'm... <laughs> it'll just be like a a like you know quote quote from people that use it it's just like <laughs> it's okay i guess izzy martin <laughs> <laughs> it's all right or we say izzy fine with modules but fine in quotes yeah it, it, i'm fine with it <laughs> no like a, i'm gonna only do this for the camera but just like a massive air quote <laughs> all right well, uh, as I said, it's been great having you and um, join me and uh, Phil in uh, wishing everybody uh, safe coding, uh, particularly in this wonderful time of COVID. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding, everybody. <laughs>